Romans chapter 8, verse 10 says, But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Now, I use this passage a lot when we pray people through to a salvation prayer. And I began thinking about it recently, that uh, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever believes in their heart and confesses with their mouth shall be saved. There's something to aligning the heart with the mouth and with corresponding action. This is where I left off last week. The heart and the mouth and corresponding action all being aligned. And when that happens, we have something powerful going on. Because the, the, the church, Christianity, is called the great confession. And if you look in history, there were many great confessions of faith. Even into the early church, we have what is known as the Apostles' Creed, which uh, maybe came from the Apostles, maybe it obviously came from the Apostles, but some date it back that far, others not that far back. But we do know in the first century and second century of the church, there was a, a statement that we would call the rule of faith. And it varies somewhat, but it contains the kernel and the basics of the gospel in it. And you can find this rule of faith in the early church fathers, and it can be traced through them. So we know it was something orally handed down from the apostles, from the apostles' teaching, that there was a confession. There was a confession, and it was super important to be able to confess the faith. Later on, 325 A.D., the Nicene Creed. Later on, the 400s, the Constantinopolitan Creed. Uh, even up into the Reformers, the, uh, the, the Creeds of Augsburg or the Westminster Confession of Faith in England to the modern Confessions of Faith we have. Confessions have been very important throughout the centuries because when we say something, it, it unlocks the power, so to speak, of what's in our hearts. Amen? You can believe it in your heart and never confess it and it has no real authority or power. It really takes on that authority and power when you open up and confess. You know, there are a lot of people who I think in their heart believe Jesus is Lord, but they're not saved. I'm going to say that again because that, that sounds strange, but I believe there's a lot of people who in their heart, you know, believe. Like I had one person tell me years ago. I said, well, you must believe. They said, believe? Oh, I believe. <laughs> and they laughed about it. I, Sure we believe, but you got to go beyond believing. you got to get into confessing. because And confessing isn't just speaking words. It's also professing and declaring, this is who I am now. This is what I do. This is how I believe. This is how I stand. You know, in the, uh, in the Roman Empire, the Christians would be brought before local authorities and often would be asked, do you still profess Jesus Christ as Lord? And if you do still confess that, we're going to 
you know, you'll be found guilty, which meant a death sentence. But if you would recant that and declare Caesar is Lord, you can, you can go free. But those early saints held to their confession and held to their profession of faith, and many of them died because of it. Read the story, the letters of the uh, martyrs of Lyon and uh, Vienna, or Wien, and read their letters and uh, how they died for the faith. Or read in the Apostolic Fathers the letter of Poly, the, the, the martyrdom of Polycarp, and who was from Asia Minor, from the town of Smyrna, which still is a city in Turkey today. And he was in his 80s, and he had a dream one night that his pillow was on fire. And he knew, he told his friends, he said, I'm going to die in the flames. He felt it was a prophetic sign that God had given him. And so he went and was eventually arrested by the authorities. They brought him out into the open, and they tied him to a stake, getting ready to burn him. And they said, would you deny your confession? And he says, you know, 80 and 6 years have I served him. And he's done me nothing but good. How could I deny him now? How could I deny him now? And they set him on fire. And there's a fantastic story in the you know, apostolic fathers of how that went down. But he became one of the most famous early church martyrs that we know of. Come on, it means something to confess I'm a believer. It means something to confess the name of Jesus. It means something to say you're a Christian. It means something. Amen? And then if you confess it, then you better live it. Well, it's early for me to step into your junk drawer, all right? But if you're confessing it, you need to possess it. If you're confessing it, you need to have it in your heart. Because there's something wrong. If, if, if we come and confess that we believe certain things, and then we go live contrary to what we believe. That wouldn't be right, would it? It, it, we, we, we would be called hypocrites, but we want to live our confession. So confession actually took on the sense of, of more than just words. Confession meant the way you live your life, the way you conduct yourself. There's a, there's a Hebrew term called chalecha, which means walk. And that's why uh, often that was carried over into the New Testament, walk circumspectly. Walk this way, and, and it's not talking about physically walking, but it's talking about in the manner that you live your life. Live your life in a certain manner, a certain walk. Can we say amen? So I'm going to dig down into this word confession this morning, and I want us to just take our time. We've got to about 1.30. Amen. And if the next crowd comes and we're still here, they can just fill in the blanks, all right? But I want us to look at this word confession and dig down in it, and I think it's going to be a blessing to you. The term confession means literally in the New Testament language to say the same thing. To say the same thing. So some people have a problem with confession, and I say, well, we can say the same thing and same things God has spoken over us, I can say over my life. This is, a, this is the great confession of faith. I can say the same things the Scripture has said over my life. Amen? It means to say the same thing. It means to profess or to declare. And it's used several different ways, and I'm going to show you a few of these, and then I'm going to get to the power of confession. Okay, First of all, it's used in the confession of sin. 
The Bible talks about confessing our sins. New Testament only mentions this three times. We've made more of it than the New Testament does, I think. But nonetheless, it is a truth in the New Testament. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 says, This is the message that we've heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. Aren't you thankful for that? That the blood of his Son cleanses us from all sin? If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So his blood cleanses us from all sin. Amen? That's what makes it, that's what does the job. The blood still has power. The blood does the work. But we bring it down into our lives when we confess so if any of you have sinned against God, you have a beautiful promise right here that you can come before the Lord and confess your sins to Him and trust in His power to forgive you of anything that you've done. And He's promised in His Word to come and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Now He goes on and He says, if anyone sins, he's not of God. And I don't, you know, but that term sin doesn't mean if he commits an act of sin, I think it's talking about if he continually lives in a habitual pattern of sin, then that's not evidence that you really have been born again. Because if you really let the work of the cross work in you, God will break off the habitual patterns of sin in your life. That's the good news. That's holiness preaching, but that's good news. Is that the bondages you have in your life, you don't have to have anymore. The sinful patterns that you've been locked in in your life, you don't have to walk in those anymore. You don't have to live in the rut of addiction that you've lived in anymore. The cross has the power to break that off, off of your life. Paul said sin shall not, not, no longer have dominion in your body. It's not your master or Lord anymore. Come on, somebody should give him a praise on that, that sin is no longer your master. We exchanged kingdoms. We exchanged masters. We stepped from darkness into light. And now we confess based on the new life we have. When I was a sinner, to sin was natural. Now that I'm a believer, to sin is unnatural. Doesn't mean I can't sin, but it's unnatural to my new nature. Somebody needs to hear that. It doesn't mean a Christian can't sin or won't sin. It means it's unnatural to his new nature. Our new nat nature is born again. I've been born again. I've been sanctified. I've been sanctified and set apart for his purposes. I've been cleansed in the blood. I'm on my way to heaven. I have assurance of my salvation. Some people believe you can't have that. I know I believe the Bible says you can know. You can know you've been, but you know you're not the same person you once were. You know your heart is different. Come on, somebody. You know there's been a change in you. Hallelujah. 
punch your neighbor and ask them if they're still awake right now and ambulatory and breathing. I'm awake. Matthew chapter 3 verse 6, speaking of John the Baptist, John the Baptist was baptizing people in the river Jordan. People came and were being baptized, the Bible says, confessing their sins. So even with John, even in Judaism, it was a powerful principle to confess your sins and get it out. So confession is used of the confession of sins. Secondly, though, the term in Greek is used of giving thanks. Hebrews 13, 15. Through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, confessing, or ESV, acknowledging, or King James, giving thanks to his name. That's the term confessing. So when I come into worship, he says, let your lips give him praise continually, confessing him. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. I'm confessing his goodness. It's who you are. It's who you are. I am loved by you. It's who I am. I'm making a bold confession of the goodness of God and my position. That's why we should be cautious about the songs we sing. Because we are confessing something. You're a good, good father. I give you praise, Lord. It's a, thirdly, it's a, we, we are to confess his lordship. Romans 14, listen to this. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, who do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Every one of us will stand before God's judgment seat. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me. And every tongue shall confess. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Paul says it in another version, that every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There's a great, there's a great confession coming one day for everybody. That we will all confess he is Lord to the glory of the Father. Did you know that also in Scripture, Jesus confesses us? He acknowledges us. Matthew chapter 10 says, verse 32, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, Jesus said, I also will acknowledge before my Father who's in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Revelation 3, 5, the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. This is super cool. That as we confess him and walk in fellowship with him, he confesses us in heaven. I don't know how that plays out, but I kind of think God loves on us some. Father, did you see my son, Hans Hess? He made it, hallelujah. Because of the greatness of God. 
Hallelujah. The help of the Holy Spirit, he made it. And the Bible says he sings over us in the minor prophets. He sings over us. He sings over us. How many of you raised kids and you raised babies and you sang over them? Even if you couldn't sing, they knew your voice. They knew your voice and you'd sing your songs. Some moms make up their own songs. God sings over us like that. He, we sing to Him and He sings over us. We confess Him and He confesses us. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. So this is the way confession is used in the New Testament. But I want to break it down and look at three ways we confess the Lord and three real sources of our confession, and I believe it will be a blessing to you. Number one, we confess from our experience. We confess the Lord based on what He's done for us. And we know we have a strong confession because we can look back at the what He's done in our lives. And based on that experience, we can declare and profess what we believe He's going to do in our lives. Okay, let me show you an example of this. Turn with me to the book of 1 Samuel. Book of 1 Samuel chapter 17. And this is a very familiar story to Bible readers. It's the story of David going out to battle against Goliath. David goes out to battle against Goliath. And he goes down to the battlefield to check on his brothers because his dad asked him to. And when he gets down to the battlefield, he starts asking what's going on. And his older brother rebukes him because he just thinks he's nosy. But he asks what's going on, and they say, well, there's a, there's a, there's a champion of the Philistines, our enemies. And he's, he's this giant. He comes out, and he taunts us all. and No one can face him. He's been a champion since his young days, and no one's ever defeated him. And David said, well, let me ask this. What kind of reward's going to be given to the guy who takes him out? That's one bad hombre. He was already thinking beyond the fight to what kind of prize am I getting out of this thing. And they said, well, I tell you, you're going to get to marry the king's daughter. And you're going to be exempt from taxes for the rest of your life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. No more IRS for you. It's over. So what does he do? He goes and sees Saul. He goes and sees Saul. It's so cool. So he says to Saul in verse 22, 32, David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail him because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. I'll do it. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go out against this Philistine to fight with him, for you're but a youth, and he's been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, no, 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 no you, you don't understand me. Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went out after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. 
And if he rose against me, I called him by his beard. and he, He's bad to the bone. I called him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. <laughs> oh, I can declare it. Why? Because I've already seen what God can do. And if you've already seen what God can do in your past, you can declare what he's going to do in your future. You have experience. Not only that, if you turn back to chapter 16, just hold your place right here with me. Go back to chapter 16 and look at verse 13. The Bible says, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. So not only did David know that God had given him the power to defeat the lions and the bears, he also knew that he had received an anointing when the prophet poured oil upon his head. And he knew that that anointing didn't come for no purpose. But that anointing on him had a purpose and a destiny stamp to it. And that if he was anointed, this guy couldn't take him out. Oh, hallelujah. If he was anointed, this guy couldn't take him out because there was a purpose to that anointing. That he was going to be the next king of Israel. And that hadn't taken place yet. And he was carrying that promise on him. So then he walks out into the battlefield. Verse 46. David said to the Philistine. Verse 46. You come to me with sword and a spear. And with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. The God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day <laughs> to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God of Israel and that this, all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. That's called a confession. He's confessing based upon what he knows from experience. That he knows God is showing up. He knows God's on him. And based on that, he can take it to him. I don't know. When my brother and I used to play basketball, my brother was great. I played basketball. But nonetheless, we played basketball. And uh, we used to love to watch the great rivalries back in the NBA in the day. You know, uh, Magic Johnson and Larry Bird. I mean, come on. Michael Jordan. But, you know, we never liked Larry Bird, but now I really appreciate Larry Bird. And if you watch a lot of these old films and a lot of these old documentaries, the great players talk about facing Bird. That he wasn't like, he, he couldn't jump really. He couldn't run great. But he was just a master with a basketball. And they said he could talk trash like no one else in the NBA. Why? Because he had been doing this a long time. He grew up in a gym, basically. I think his dad was a, foot, a basketball coach. They grew up just playing basketball. and shoot. He knew what he could do. 
And so there was a guy he faced one time who had beat his brother in a high school tournament or something. And he came out and he, and he like, I, I'll forget the story, so forgive me. But he came out and he told him at the beginning of the game, this is what's going to happen tonight. I'm going to score 50 points on you. And he did. And he didn't tell the guys, you see this, I'm going to go right over, right over to the, to the, to, to the uh, out-of-bounds line, and I'm going to shoot it in your face, and I'm going to hit nothing but net. And he would go do it. And he intimidated guys like that. I'm going to take it to you. Michael Jordan was a trash talker. He, was a cha- he, was a, he had the heart of a champion. When you got it, you got it. You can talk the trash. Hallelujah. What's sad is if you don't have it and you talk trash, then you've got to eat crow. But if you got it, you can talk it. Come on, somebody. Come on. If we got him on our side, we can tell the devil right where to get off and to get on and tell him exactly what our God's going to show up and do. Why? Because I've been in a few battles before. And he's never failed me yet. Hallelujah. He came through every time and he's still going to come through because he was yesterday, he is today, and he will be tomorrow. He's the God that never fails. Come on, if you believe it, give him a shout. Oh, give him a shout and praise. Hallelujah. (laughs) Woo, hallelujah. Experience tells me I can make a bold confession. Second thing, I can confess what I hear from the Lord. You know, I didn't deal with this last week, but uh, I got into this Friday night when Dana and I were down in Georgia, and and we had a, a wonderful service on the campus of Emmanuel College. But I said, you can start declaring things that God has declared over your life. The Bible says, that we war with the prophetic words. The Bible says we do warfare with the prophetic words spoken over us. What does that mean? I believe when something's spoken accurately in the realm of the Spirit over our lives, I believe we can take it back to the Lord and say, God, you promised this. And even though the battle is tough right now, God, you promised this. And I'm going to now take this to prayer And I'm going to make it my confession. I want you all to get this. I want to settle into this so you get this. So if the Lord's spoken things over your life, I believe you can take it to the Lord in prayer and you can stand boldly and confess it. Let me give you an example of this. Go to the right in the Bible to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. I've preached on this passage a lot. And this is the passage where Jehoshaphat is king. And the Ammonites, Moabites, and Mayunites gather around him to come to battle, and he's outnumbered. So what Jehoshaphat does is he calls a prayer meeting. They go into the prayer meeting, and the Bible says in verse 14, 2 Chronicles 20, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon a prophet. His name is Jehaziel. And Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, son of Benaniah, the son of Jehiel, the son of Mattaniah, a Levite of the son of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he says these words as the Spirit came on him in a prophetic way. He says, listen all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. 
Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. Now what Jehoshaphat does is he believes. He comes up and he says, you know what? If we believe his prophets, we will prosper. That comes from that past. We're going to believe his prophets and we're going to prosper. And so he goes before and he takes all of the army, arranges them in a certain way, puts the praise singers out front, and lets them go into battle praising the Lord in the beauty of holiness. When, God, when he did that, God confounded and confused the enemy. And Israel showed up on the battlefield, and all that was left was all of the spoil and leftover of the battle. So what am I saying? They heard the word of the Lord. They made a bold confession of faith, and they walked out and acted on the word of God on their life. Now listen, I know we're going to talk about the scripture and the final thing here. Okay, the Scripture is, is, is the deal, right? We, we quote Scripture, we claim Scripture, we, we confess Scripture. But I'm telling you, we undersell and underplay the Word of the Lord given through prophetic voice. That when God gives us prophetic words, He gives us an assurance in prayer, He speaks something to us by the Spirit, Maybe it's through tongue and interpretation. Maybe it's through prophecy. Maybe it's through a word of knowledge or word of wisdom from somebody. When God speaks something to us, I'm telling you, start doing warfare with that thing. If it resonates with your heart, doesn't it go against Scripture, meets the guidelines of prophetic word, then take that thing, write it down, and start praying it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 35 miles north of here, there was a man of God who prophesied over me years ago. And he said, you'll pastor one of the largest churches in this region. He said a lot of other things too, but he said that. And uh, I'm talking, this is almost, um, almost 30 years ago. This is probably 26 years ago. I kept that prophecy on a cassette tape. Now, for those of you who don't know what that is, <laughs> I kept that prophecy on a cassette tape, and I pull it out every now and then and listen to it. And I went and planted a church in Washington, D.C., and I said, well, Lord, you said this region. I'm going to stretch that region a little bit. And I tried to make that fit every way possible. But I still believed it was the word of the Lord. I believed in that man's character. I believed, I felt the witness of the Spirit when he gave the word. And as I went back and prayed that thing through, I believe it was the word of the Lord. So I still held on to it. Made it my confession. And when I came here to Fountain of Life and what happened in Fountain of Life, that word came to pass. It took, it took a while, but that word came to pass. So I'm telling you, there have been some things spoken over your life you need to go dig up and dust off. And start doing warfare with them again. Come on, start doing warfare with them again. And believe that God's going to make it your confession. Make it your profession. That you believe God's going to do this. Hallelujah. Spoken over your life in the name of Jesus. 
In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Come on, hallelujah. I feel this thing. In the name of Jesus. Come on, Lord, stir it back up. In the name of, stir it back up in our lives, Lord. Some of those encouraging words, some of those prophetic words, some of those words we received in prayer, some of those journaled items. Stir it back up in our hearts, Lord, and let's start believing again for those things you declared over our lives. Can somebody shout amen? Okay, final thing. Not only do you confess what you've experienced, what you know from experience, you confess what you know because you heard it, then there are things you're just going to confess because you just know them. Okay, let me, let me distinguish here. You're going to confess because you know their truth. This is where we get in Scripture. When we know what God has said, we can confess it. Because you know what? One man said this years ago, F.F. F. Bosworth. He said, faith begins where the will of God is known. Faith begins where the will of God is known. A lot of people only preach salvation. And guess what they have happened in their church? A lot of people get saved. Because they're preaching it. It's known, and God moves on it, and people respond to what they hear and what they know. Then some people open the door to the baptism in the Holy Spirit and the fullness of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. Preach that, preach that. And once that's known, people start experiencing it. Old-timers used to say, you get what you preach for. Some people have revelation on healing. They start preaching healing, start preaching that, seed that into the hearts and minds of people. People start getting healed. I'm telling you, we start preaching that God wants you, you blessed and He wants to prosper your life and He wants good things for you. And once we start preaching that, that revelation gets in the hearts of people and people start being blessed. I'm telling you, faith comes based on the knowledge that's communicated. Because once we know what we can believe for, it opens us up to believe for that thing. Can you shout amen? amen? So let me give you a few things that you can stand on. Number one, I'm going to give you about five different things here. I could make a whole list, a litany of things. This is just going to be a smattering and a sample platter. Tour of Italy at Olive Garden. We're going to take a sampling of the greatest dishes. Number one, you can know that God is good. We sang about it today. You can know that He is good. Psalm 145, 9. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all He has made. 1 Chronicles 16, 34. Give thanks to the Lord for He is good and His love endures forever. Psalm 100, verse 5. For the Lord is good. And His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. James 1.7 Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Psalm 34.8 Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in Him. Nahum 1.7 For the Lord is good. A refuge in time of trouble. He cares for those who trust in Him. Psalm 84, 11. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does He withhold from those who, whose walk is blameless. That's just a sampling 
of the scriptures that talk about the goodness of God. This year, in my devotional reading, I went back and started reading through the Bible and just started looking for His goodness on every page. And it's absolutely amazing how the Bible has come to life for me in a different way. Because sometimes we get too complex and we want to look at things in this complexities. Well, you know, uh, and, and try to figure out all the contingencies and why everything happened, this bad thing happened, this sickness came, and this death came, and this disease came. And we try to figure But when I look at it, the, the, line, the, the, the common denominator that I'm finding throughout Scripture is God is good. He created mankind, and it was good. He created all of the earth, and it was good. Mankind sinned, bad. Devil, bad. God, good. Theology in four words. Devil, bad. God, good. I'm coming up with all kinds of stuff. Or the Lord's giving me all kinds of stuff. I get. Devil, bad. God, good. And then, uh, and it runs throughout Scripture. And so what God is doing is repairing the breach with Israel, repairing the breach to humanity, bringing back the goodness to man, opening up the heavens so we can receive of His goodness. So when I come before Him, I can declare these things in prayer. I can confess them over my life. I can pray them over my family. I can pray them over my church. I believe God is good. God is good at Fountain of Life. God wants good things for our church. God wants our church to grow. He wants it to explode. Why? Because He loves people. He loves lost people. He wants everybody in Elizabeth City saved. If everyone in Elizabeth City was saved, all the 100 churches here would be packed to overflowing. We'd have to build a several hundred more churches to handle it all. So forget about this. We should never plant churches. That's absolutely ludicrous. Because if the harvest comes in like we believe it will, we can't handle the harvest that's getting ready to come. And I believe God wants that. God's not like, no, I'm stingy. I want you held down to just the few. No, I'm going to strain out your finances and shut off the flow. And no, everybody's going to be sad. And everybody's going to be sour. And you're going to endure church. Come on, it's, come on, it's ridiculous. This is a house of joy. It's a house of His goodness. It's a house of His good pleasure. It's a house of His people. It's a house of righteousness. God wants everybody in Elizabeth City to get some of this. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody. God is a good God. He wants your family blessed. He wants your family saved. He don't want them hooked on drugs and alcohol and cigarettes. He don't want them sleeping around. He don't want them shacking up. He doesn't want them dying of diseases. He wants them blessed and healed and saved and prospering. This is the gospel. God is good. It's the good news. It isn't the bad news. It's the good news. I can claim it. I can name it. I can confess it. I can pray it. I can declare it. I can write it. I can shout it over my life and my family. Took me a long time to get here. But the bus finally arrived. Come on, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. come on, look at about three people and say, my God is good. Come on, look at another three and tell them, my God is good. Yay. <laughs> Woo. 
<laughs> Second thing, God promised he'd be with us all the time. He promised he'd be with us all the time. Now, some say we shouldn't be flying because he said, Lo, I'll be with you always. Just kidding. He's with us even in the air. We left out of here last Sunday on a private prop plane. We took off from Elizabeth City Airport, and the passenger door flew open. And I thought, Lord, is that true? Lo, I'm with you always, or are you with me right now up in the air too? But you know what? I didn't worry because uh, Dana and I had already prayed Psalm 91 over us that God would give his angels charge over me. And I thought, you know, I'm in the Lord's hands. I'm so blessed. I'm blessed in the air. I'm blessed on the ground. And not saying I wasn't concerned. And I said, I got all kinds of preaching material from this. Behold, I've set before you a great and effectual door. I can open a door that no man can shut. Hallelujah. I mean, come God said he would be with us. Joshua 1 9, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because thou art with me. You're walking with me everywhere I go. Philippians 4, 6, be not anxious about anything, but in every situation, by petition and prayer, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, shall guard your hearts and minds. Why? Because God is walking with you every where you go you can confess it you can declare it you can proclaim it my God is Jehovah Shammah he is with me at all times oh hallelujah number three I, this, is the, this is the tour of Italy number three God will provide He's a providing God. I don't know how to get around it. He's provided since day one. He's provided since day one. He is our source. Other people aren't your source. God is your source. That's the first principle of faith. You've got to get it in your mind. He gives all good things from heaven. We appreciate employers and we appreciate the government sometimes. And we appreciate other people, but God is our source. One man, one preacher said he had, he had, he had preached something and it offended the biggest tither in his church. And so they met about it and the guy said, well, I'm not backing down from what I preach and believe. The guy said, well, I'm going to have to leave then. So he left, took his family, walked out the door. Preacher said he watched him go and he said, well, there he goes. There goes the biggest giver. And the Lord spoke and said, no, I'm still here. Y'all didn't get it. The Lord said, no, I'm still here. I'm the one providing everything for your life. I'm the one giving into your life. Somebody shout hallelujah. Which of you, Matthew 7, ask if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? 
Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then are evil and you know how to good, give good gifts to your children, how much more? How much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask Him? Psalm 34.10, the lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. 2 Corinthians 9.8, and God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Can we do two more? We also know from Scripture that God will answer prayer. And I've taken this to the Lord many times. Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you've received and it will be yours. Psalm 37, 4. Take delight in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Jesus said, ask anything in my name and, and the Father will give it to you. You, up to this point, he told the disciples, you've asked nothing in my name. But now I'm saying, ask anything in my name, and the Father will give it to you. It's like the blank check of prayer. And God wants to do good for us, and God answers prayer. And if I'm not receiving, then I must just be, then I'm just walking in faith waiting. This has really been working on me, because we often pray like we don't believe God exists. We're like, we're going to go, going to, go to prayer, we'll give it a chance. We're going to give it a shot. It's like being down at the arcade playing skee-ball. We might get in the outer ring or we might get closer to the center ring. We're just going to give it a shot. This isn't how prayer works. Prayer's relationship. And he said, you can bring anything to me. Your deepest needs, your deepest desires, your deepest feelings, bring it all to me. We walk in relationship with one another. And we offer it to the Lord in prayer based out of relationship. And then we trust Him with it. And then we walk in faith knowing He's heard us and knowing He's at work behind the scenes. Organizing, arranging, changing people's feelings, speaking to people while they're on their beds, sending angelic messengers to do bidding. God is behind the scenes working stuff we can't see. And He's guaranteed that He'll answer our prayers. If you have faith, you must come to God and believe that He is able to do what He said He would do. Amen. And I'm going to give you one more because I think we struggle with this uh, often the most, and that is divine healing. It's written in our doctrinal statement of our movement that we believe healing as in the atonement. So is in the Church of God, the Assemblies of God, the Four Square Church, the, uh, a lot of the holiness movement. It's written in there we believe in healing as in the atonement. If we believe that's true then that, mean he, that means healing's already been accomplished at the cross. If we believe it's in the atonement, then it's already been accomplished at the cross. But if we don't believe that, and we believe that God picks and chooses who He wants to heal, then we just have to, then you just got to live with that. But I'm going to choose to err on the side of the Scripture. If I want to err, I want to err on the side of believing and on the side of Scripture. Okay? And I think we, some people get disheartened and get really uh, upset because someone they didn't pray for you know, wasn't healed. And number one, I want to say heaven is not like a uh, consolation prize. If somebody believes the Lord and goes on to heaven, hallelujah. What an amazing reception they received when they walked through the pearly gates. Okay? But we believe healing is given as the children's bread 
here on earth. Let me just give you a few scriptures. He himself bore our sins, 1 Peter 2.24, in his body on the cross so that we might, might die to sins and live for righteousness by his wounds you've been healed. Matthew quoted in Matthew chapter 8 when Jesus was healing people. He healed the leper. He healed the centurion's servant. He healed Peter's mother-in-law. And then he healed many in an evening meeting in an outdoor setting. And the Bible says he healed them all, in fact. And then Matthew quotes Isaiah chapter 53, and he says this is because this scripture is being fulfilled. So it was a direct fulfillment in physical healing. When he quoted Isaiah 53, Surely he's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. The word for griefs in the Hebrew actually means sicknesses. The word for sorrow in Hebrew actually means pains. That he died for our sicknesses, and he died for our pains. Psalm 103 verse 2, bless the Lord O my soul and forget not all of his benefits who forgives all your iniquities and heals all your diseases. Luke chapter 6 verse 19, and the whole multitude sought to touch him for power went out from him and healed them all. Matthew 9.35, Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. Psalm 107.20, he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Can somebody shout Amen. So I got out of the game of wondering why and questioning God, and I got into the arena of, Lord, how can I increase my faith? And God, how can I increase my capacity to receive and believe? How can I increase my knowledge of the Word? How can I flow and walk beyond the veil and flow in the gifts and power of the Holy Spirit? How can I move and minister to healing to other people? How can I do that? That's where the focus has gotten on in my life. And I still proclaim it, I still claim it, I still confess it, I still make it a regular confession over me. If, if something tries to attack me, I start confessing his word. I just start confessing his word over my life. Lord, you said by your stripes I'm healed. You said you sent your word and healed Hans. You said I am the Lord that heals Hans. You said you healed them all, I'm one of the all. God, I just, I, just, I just believe it over my life. I'm going to pray that over my life. I'm going to stand on your word, and I'm going to confess your word and declare your word and profess your word based on what I know because faith begins where I know, where, where the will of God is known. I know your will now. And there's many different things. We could go on forever here, and I'm not, I don't want to take too long with this, but we prayed for a, a lady the other night who was having uh, pain in her shoulders and she was, had a meniscus tear, and she was on crutches. And we prayed for her. And after the service, she walked back out on crutches. But she came the next night and waited forever to talk to me. And she said, I didn't want you to be discouraged by seeing me come back in on crutches. I'm like, I wasn't discouraged. She said, no. But I went home, and all the pain left my shoulders that night. All the pain drained out of my shoulders, and I know God is healing my knees. See, we've often missed it because we've, we've, put, we've put too much pressure on, on the church service. And we've said, well, if someone, if you weren't touched and instantly healed, well, God didn't do it. And that's caused, I think, a lot of us to miss our healing 
through the years because we must believe that God's working all the time. And he, we're going to get better, 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 better. And as they went, they were healed. As they went, they were healed. i got to believe when somebody lays hands on me, I, the healing process begins. Or when I go to the Lord in prayer and start confessing His Word, the healing process begins. And then I need to walk in faith, and I need to keep my strong confession of faith and believe that God is still at work in my body, that God is still doing what He can do. How many people have left church services and not received or seemed like they received anything and went home and something amazing happened? Hallelujah. We've gotten too churched that we believe that it only can happen in the four walls of this building. And if it doesn't happen instantaneously, it doesn't happen at all. Our sister came up to me this morning and told me, she said, a couple weeks ago you were preaching and I was watching you online and you talked about the power of speaking in tongues and the power of the Holy Spirit. And she said, I was sitting in my husband's office and I started praying in tongues. And it was so marvelous and so amazing. She's at home not in the church service, receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit at home in the office. So when we lay hands on you, I mean, salvation, you know, salvation is a process. You, you have an open door you walk through, but then you continue making that confession of faith, believing, growing, and learning in the knowledge of God. If you go to our healing rooms on Tuesday night, say, this is where it begins. I love our brother Wayne Cooper. He goes to healing rooms and many times he's gone and the Lord's healed him several times of things, right? And he says sometimes he's gone and the pain would leave him and by the time he would get out of the driveway, the pain would return. And you know what he would say? Well, I'll just go back. <laughs> not, well, God must not have done it. No, I'll go back. I'll just go back. I'm blowing some of y'all's minds right now. I see that. I see the smoke. I'm just going to say, I've just gotten to this point. Either that word's right or it's not. Either it's true or it's not. Either it's true or it's not. I'm going I'm to choose to believe it's true. I know it's true. I know it's true. And if I err, I'm going to err on the side of believing. I'm going to be on the believing side. I'll tell this story and we'll end. I feel like I could preach all day. Hallelujah. Several years ago, I was, uh, this is pre 9 11. I'd done a wedding for a family member at Fort Bragg in, in Fayetteville, North Carolina. And we were driving up the road, and I had a ticket to fly to Cincinnati from RDU, from Raleigh-Durham. And I had to get to Cincinnati because the youth department of the IPHC was going to give me a large offering to plant a church. We, so this would have been around 2000, like 2000, 2001. And so uh, I knew I had to get there, but we got there late. I mean, coming out of the wedding and driving traffic, and I got there late, and by the time I'd made it to the gate, I saw the door shut on the airplane. Once that door shuts, it's not supposed to open again. Once that door shuts, it's done. So they tell me, they say, hey, it, 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 you're done. And I'm like, I'm frustrated. And they said, but we'll get you on the next flight. And I was like, oh, whatever. Doug Eccles here. So I sat down, and I waited a long time. And finally, one of the airline agents came over to me personally and said, uh, Mr. Hess, your plane's ready. I said, okay. I, I walked down the jetway, 
onto a full jet airliner, and I was the only passenger. The only passenger. The steward met me at the door, and he said, sit anywhere you want to, you know. So I sat in first class. And then he said, would you like some coffee? I'll put you on a pot. I said, I would love some coffee. Hallelujah. And then the, the, the airline pilot comes across the intercom, and he says, ladies and gentlemen, or sir. And he gives his whole spiel. Now, I got back home, and I was telling my mother-in-law about it, Ruby McClanahan. And if y'all knew Ruby, she lived on the believing side. She still does. It's miracles, it's signs, it's wonders, it's God. She had been healed of breast cancer many, many years ago. There was a lady one time who had breast cancer that they brought. Her husband brought her to Ruby's house and said, I'll pick her up when she's healed. <laughs> Three days later, they came and the lady was healed. Lived many, 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 many years in Bristol, Tennessee, Bristol, Virginia. So that's the faith she's walking in. And I told her about my experience. She said, Lord, Hans, that's an angel's coming after you. She said, you can't tell me them as angels that picked you up that night. Now, I don't know if it was just people taking me to Cincinnati because they had to return a plane that night. I don't know what it was. But I kind of like to think it was angels coming after me that night <laughs> and serving me coffee and talking to me over the intercom personally. Hallelujah. Why do I say that? Because I'm not afraid of living on the believing side. Come on. I don't, coincidences, God is in stuff. Come on. God makes things happen. God brings people in your way. God gives you signs. He shows you stuff. He opens doors. He makes connections. He makes relationships happen. God, God signs contracts for you. Come on. He sends pieces of mail. He pays off bills. He, he comes and touches your body. He gives you dreams and visions. And he gives his angels charge over you. Come on. Get over on the believing side. Get out of that skepticism. Get off TV and CNN and MSNBC. Get over and listen to some people who are preaching some faith stuff and believe that God is working. He's still able to do everything he said in this book. Come on. If you believe it, give him a shout hallelujah. Woo, come on, give him a shout, hallelujah. Yay, hallelujah. My father-in-law had been a great give person to give to ministries. Come on, everybody stand. We're going to close. One more story. My father-in-law had been great to donate to ministries and take care of ministers. And, and he, was in, he was in coal mining. He was a coal operator. And at one point, he just he got frustrated with the way things were going. And he walked off the uh, mountain one day, left all of his equipment, left everything, and said, I'm done. And uh, I believe God had known about all the people they had supported and had taken care of, preachers they had kept in their home. And then right when he needed it most, he got a call from his bookkeeper one day and said, Mr. McClanahan, did you know you had another bank account? And it had like $20,000 in it. Coincidence, maybe, but I'm going to live on the believing side. I'm going to live on the believing side over here. That God had it somehow, right when He needed it. 
So I've pastored for 27 years. And here's what I've noticed. There are some people who are always negative and always struggling to believe. And there are other people who are always believing and always happy. I'm just going to be honest with you. I've seen it for 27 years. I want to be with the happy crowd. I'm just going to be... I want to be with the crowd that believes that we come in on Sunday morning. It's going to be like, I can't, just, what time is this going to be over with? Gosh, I'm starving. No, I want to be with that crowd. What's God going to do today? Man, I'm opening up my heart. I want to hear what He pours in me today. Oh, hallelujah. God's going to do, God's going to touch my friend today. Come on, God's going to heal some, God's going to save somebody in this crowd. God's going to turn somebody's situation. God's going to speak hope to somebody today. I want to be in that crowd. I want to be in the party crowd. Kingdom of heaven is a party. When the man found his lost sheep, he had a party. When the woman found her lost coin, they had a party. When the prodigal son came home, they had a massive party. The kingdom of God is a celebration. Come on, somebody. Give him a hand clap of praise. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the power of confession and the power of the tongue. Lord, I pray you shift our thinking on this, Lord. Pray you shift our thinking on this, God. Let us walk more in the realm of the believing, more in the realm of faith, more in the realm of receiving. And I give you praise right now in Jesus' name. I thank you for everyone in here this morning who's listened, who's opened up their hearts to receive. And God, I give you praise for what you're doing right now in our lives. And our lives right here in Elizabeth City, right here this morning, Fountain of Life Church, I give you thanks for what you're doing in our lives. You've kept us, God. You've blessed us. You've, you've anointed us, Lord. And we give you praise for it right now. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hey, guys, thanks so much for watching and listening to the podcast. And I hope these sermons have been a great blessing and source of encouragement to your life. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're facing today, Jesus is the answer. I can tell you, He is the answer for your life. I'd love to pray with you before we leave here. So if you never accepted Christ into your life, or if you just have a need in your life, let's lift it up to the Lord right now. Come on, pray with me. Lord Jesus, wash me from all sin. I accept you into my life. I repent of all sin, and I place you on the throne seat of my heart. Lord, I pray right now, you minister to each and every one who just prayed that short prayer with me. Whatever situation they're facing, give them grace right now. Give them the power they need to get through it, Lord. Give miracle signs and wonders today, Lord, to those listening in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. We declare it done in Jesus' name. Love you guys. Thank you for tuning in and listening and watching us.